Question eight. How does God execute his decrees? Answer. God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Why is there a comma there? Where? Creation, creation and, and providence. And providence. I don't have one on my copy. Okay, I'm checking this one out. Interesting. I don't know. I don't. I, I have a bound, like a, an official one in my on my desk, but I'm not going to go get it and look. It's just a comma, Aaron. Calm down. Comma. She can't do it. She can't stop. She can't stop copy editing. She, you know, she does that with the world around her too. She's like, I feel like the people in this room, the characters here, don't have a real well-defined motivation. I'll be like, but I'm the only one in this room. All right. I have two old-timey sermon illustrations this time. Are you ready? Who would have thought, says Sorin, not Soran, Sorin, that King Henry VIII, a cruel and superstitious king, the greatest enemy the Reformation ever had, he who, by the fury of his arms and by the productions of his pen, opposed this great work, refuting those whom he could not persecute and persecuting those whom he could not refute, who would have thought that this monarch should first serve the work he intended to subvert, clear the way for reformation, and by shaking off the yoke of the Roman pontiff, execute the plan of providence, while he seemed to do nothing but satiate his voluptuousness and ambition. I'd never thought of King Henry VIII as you know, voluptuous, but sure. Um, I'm sure you, most of you know what that reference is, that, that in trying to get his way, uh, and get another divorce because he thought that it was his wife's fault that he couldn't have a son, when in fact it's his chromosome, not theirs. Um, he broke with Rome and said, that's it, I'm starting my own church. And in that way, I mean, if he hadn't done that, out of sinful desires and, and uh, a hard heart, ooh, there wouldn't be Baptists. I mean, in God's providence, maybe some other way, but we wouldn't have gone the way that, that we came because out of... The Church of England then come the Puritans. Out of the Puritans come the Separatists. Out of the Separatists come the Baptists. And here we are. When God finally got it right. I'm kidding. That's a joke. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. <laughs> All right. Second old-timey sermon illustration. It was a special providence of God, says Samuel Clark that the same day that Pelagius the heretic was born in Britain, St. Augustine, the great confuter of the heresy, was born in Africa. Divine providence so disposed it that the poison and the antidote should come into the world together. That's fascinating. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and I don't think probably people even knew that until after their deaths when people are writing out their, their histories. Um, and one more quote, this from James Montgomery Boyce, who is uh, the late pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, and one of my favorite uh, authors, commentators, writes this about providence. There is probably no point at which the Christian doctrine of God comes more into conflict with contemporary worldviews than in the matter of God's providence. Providence means that God has not abandoned the world that he created— but rather works within that creation to manage all things according to the immutable counsel of his own will. Remember those words from the last question. By contrast, 
the world at large, even if it will on occasion acknowledge God to have been the world's creator, is at least certain that he does not now intervene in human affairs. Many think that miracles do not happen, that prayer isn't answered, and that most things, quote, fall out according to the functioning of impersonal and unchangeable laws. So you have worldview that says there are unchangeable, unviolatable laws that govern everything, or you have a worldview that says, yes, there are laws that were put in place by God, but the thing that's unchangeable, immutable, is God's eternal decree, his own counsel. And one view has room for what we call providence, and the other one doesn't. And I can't imagine how cold and lonely it feels to live without a sense that there is providence. Um, everything would be just random. Everything would be fairly meaningless. Uh, and what a bummer. So providence, and this is important to us, especially as Baptists, it's God's use of secondary causes. What do we mean by that? You know, when we say like primary and secondary sources, what we mean, what do we mean by primary and secondary causes? Well, it would be that he didn't directly cause X, Y, or Z to happen, but he caused something to happen that caused something else. Okay. Oh, yeah, like a primary cause would be like he put a tornado on to destroy something. Direct. Mm hmm. So what's secondary? I don't know. <laughs> I think perhaps primary. Is God just zaps people like Nadab and Abihu? Remember this story? They offer up these are the high priests, the sons of or the priests, the sons of the high priest Aaron, and instead of offering the kind of worship that they were supposed to, they offer strange fire, which is like weird pagan worship. And what does God do? Yeah, He just cooks them. They're done. That's a primary cause. God's just like uh, you're dead. Secondary would be a tornado comes through and sucks them up. Uh, and we would be able to say, well, hold on, we know what caused the tornado because we understand high pressure and low pressure systems and all this meteorological blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't know that they know exactly what does this, but we have some idea. And we'd say, no, but God, because he's all powerful and all knowing, can use these secondary things for his purpose. And so like, we can sort of do this, but only if we get lucky, right? There could be, I don't know, say you want to talk to a, a, a young lady at your work because you uh, want to get to know her. And you think, man, there's no real in, it's all awkward. And then one day you're like, oh, look at that. Her battery of her car is dead. That's a secondary cause. Now, God is the one who is also the author of everything that happens because we say that, that apart from his sovereign will, nothing happens. So then it almost is like you drained the battery of her car so you can talk to her and that gets into creepy territory. <laughs> but when you're God and you're all powerful, everything that happens is his, it's a potential um, providential mechanism. So Roger brought up uh, Joseph being thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, bad thing. But he recognizes God's providence in it, that even though this is just something that happened in the dangerous and, and unforgiving Wild West that he lived in, wild Near East, uh, that God used it for good. 
Yeah, you get thrown in a pit if you're a smug guy and your brothers don't like you. Yeah, you get sold to these guys uh, who come through and, and bring you to Egypt and now you're a slave. But God was using all of these. I mean, you get thrown into prison when you're falsely accused of sexual assault. That happened to Joseph. You're like, okay, these are just bad things that happen because we live in a world of chaos. And, and yet, while he's there, in God's providence, he meets the cupbearer and the baker. And through that, he's brought out of prison. He's elevated and elevated. And God's, God saves the world through Joseph. That's wild. Like the, the empire, anyway, the world that was under the protection of Egypt. So that's, that's providence. That's, that's what we mean. Uh, Acts 4, 26 to 28. Acts 4, 26 to 28. Actos quattro vente seis. I don't know how to say this. Um, who's got that? Anyone, somebody look that up for us. 26 through 28 of Acts 4. And we've already just been looking at this on a Sunday morning. What is the context here, first of all? Peter and John before the council. Right. I, I don't know why people don't make a get more excited about Peter and John like together in the book of Acts. That seems like the Batman Superman team up kind of thing, right? I mean, I get really I get really excited thinking about that. These two, these two guys, um, they're they've become the the mouthpiece of the church for a while, and and they really they save the early church on a number of occasions by their quick thinking. Aaron, what, what does it say? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay. So this is... According to two things. One, the will of wicked men. And two, the will of God. And those two things are not contradictory. Now, last week we were talking about how God is the one who first loves you and first chooses you. And yet, in the same way, we choose him. And there's not a contradiction like there is not here either. Pilate said, I'll do what I'll do based on my own wisdom uh, based on all sorts of other... What's another providential piece there? Uh, his wife coming in and saying, I had this terrible dream, careful with this Nazarite guy, Nazarene. Uh, and then uh, that factors all these different things swirling around. God's using these secondary things with his, through, through his uh, predestination, and yet the, the uh, will of the humans involved remains. So, so that's providence, the, the secondary causes. Um, I think a great example, two, two examples, of how providence can work in the same sort of way and to the same end and with the same amount of power and majesty as direct miraculous intervention, we think about the flight um, across the Red Sea, right? So you have uh, the, the children of Israel and the adults actually are with them as well, and they're, it never gets old. It does. It gets old, but I keep doing. I just keep doing it. Um, but they're they're fleeing from Egypt, and who's on their tail? Pharaoh. Pharaoh and his armies. So basically, the most dangerous group of people on the face of the earth at the time, and they're stuck between an army on one side 
and the the Red Sea on the other. So they're they're stuck there. Uh, And then Moses goes and parts the Red Sea. All of Israel walks across on dry land. Pharaoh's armies follow. And it's all she wrote, right? They're, They're drowned. Now, some people have suggested, first of all, you've got uh, the fact that this is not called the Red Sea in the Old Testament. It's called the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds. Uh, and it's called the Red Sea today, but that it was called the Sea of Reeds then. And so it's been posited that, well, no, 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 this isn't actually uh, a deep you know, sea. This isn't you know, uh, something that, that you'd have to swim across. This is, this is just a lot of reeds. And the wind that comes through just kind of blows a path through them. And it, and it opened up. Okay, well, if that's the case, then the miracle is that Pharaoh's army drowned in reeds. That's just <laughs> stupid. But others have suggested that there have been these really odd and yet natural phenomena wherein a wind will blow through and actually it's so strong it will sort of part uh, a deeper uh, body of water to the point where you could walk through. And they say, see, you don't need a miracle. It can happen naturally. What would be your response to that? Well, it's pretty good timing. Exactly. <laughs> so what you're saying in that case is, I mean, doubly good timing. One, that it opens up for Israel, and two, that it closes up on Egypt. But even if... This is the kind of natural phenomenon that would have happened whether Israel and the Egyptian army was there or not. It's providence. And so it's something to stand in awe of anyway. Plagues too, because they would have had plagues of locusts. You still have those in certain areas of the world. They would have had times when tons of frogs were, I mean, that's a natural phenomenon that you see some, you know, in some population. Nile turning to blood, not so much. Although people have suggested that it was, you know, red silt of some kind or something that happens. And uh, you start also thinking of the quail, right? The wind that blows the quail all off course when God's like, oh, you want meat? You want quail? I'll have them coming out your nostrils. Literally, that's what he says. And, and yeah, that's a thing that happened. These, these migrating birds just kind of get blown off course and die. Uh, but God uses that. That's providence. Donna. So it would be kind of like a tsunami or earthquake or... Oh, like to part the water? Yeah. No, just a strong wind is what I've read. It sounds very thin to me. Yeah, that sounds very thin. Well, tsunamis are pretty strong. Yeah, they are strong. I mean, that's one big, massive wave coming in. But yeah, in the sense that those are natural phenomenon, this is what some people would try to do to squirm out of having to acknowledge that God's in control. Uh, another one, a great uh, this time of year, is to think about the star, right? Uh, the star in the sky, it appears, and the magi follow it, and it brings them right to the infant. And, you know, some people have, many people have tried and tried and tried to figure out what star was it. Um, it was suggested quite early on that it was uh, two planets overlapping. I don't remember which ones. Now we know they never got closer than two moon widths apart. It was, it was, there's been all this kind of charting of the skies to try and figure out what could have been shining that bright. I think, uh, and I'm pretty confident, this is simply a supernatural phenomenon because it seems to appear, bring them to Jerusalem, disappear, wait for their meeting with Herod, or with, uh, yeah, with Herod reappear, and then kind of shine directly down on one 
uh, edifice, which I don't know if you've noticed, stars never do any of that. Um, but even if it was the lining up of several planets or something that made it shine brighter in the sky or a supernova or, or who knows what, in the timing, in it being perfect at the exact moment, and we're, we're actually be looking at this very concept in the service this morning, that is in God's providence the, the same level of miracle, the same magnitude of miracle as here's a new star. You know, it's in, in God's sovereign will, using direct intervention or secondary causes, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. He's in control. And, he's, and so when we look around and see God at work, and we don't see today nearly as much, I would argue, um, I don't think we see no miracles, but I don't think we see nearly as many kind of direct, blow-your-mind miracles, especially as you read about in Scripture, because you're reading through centuries and you're getting the highlights. We don't, we don't every day see these like, whoa, you know, then all of a sudden the guy who helped me on the freeway disappeared and it was an angel. And these are stories that, you know, people have once in a lifetime. But every day we can see God's providence. And that's just as important. And it should bolster our faith just as much. Anybody have any great providence stories? Well, I'm, this isn't me, but I was just thinking of the star thing again. That if it were something where it was a new star or... Um, a supernova or something like that. That to me sounds even more like providence because with the how long light takes to get to Earth, how long in advance had God set that there mm-hmm. so that it would shine at that moment? Right. You know? There, there, there are no people, let alone right. no. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's that's. I hadn't even thought of that. The creation of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. You're right. Would have to have been at the at creation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a cool thought. But does anyone, does anyone have, I mean, like, we, we, we had a whole night and Wednesday night where we got into talking about angels. And a lot of people were sharing their, you know, remember that story, that, that book full of stories about angels that Billy Graham wrote um, that were all uh, probably apocryphal, but still fun. Uh, that, you know, this, this person came and helped in this way or did this or protected me. And then, you know, you'd look back and go, who was that? And it was an angel. But apart from those interventions by uh, special divine, you know, movement, what about these secondary causes? Has anyone looked back and said, wow, if this had gone that way instead of this way, this little thing even, my whole life would have been different. Again, not something for me, but I hear from other people a number of times that they would have some sort of accident or whatever and end up in the hospital, and then while they're there, something else is diagnosed that they didn't know they had, mm-hmm. have been diagnosed. You know, they could have, down the road, had a lot of trouble with it, like cancer, or they caught it early or something like that. Right, yeah. And it was Ginsburg. What's that? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was just on the TV oh, yeah. when she fell and broke her ribs. Oh. They found a tumor in her lung that they were able to mm-hmm. extract. She's back to work already. Right, yeah. And that would have probably, what, metastasized and killed her if they'd have left it. Wow, yeah, that's... Well, she's a million years old. <laughs> What's that? She's already a million years old. So it's possible that she's not going to hang in there that much longer, but you never know. Well, that got dark, but okay. <laughs> Anyone else have any tales of Providence? As Baptists, you should have a couple on hand. Donna. Yeah. 
called Barb and I had one where a guy come from no she had fell. A guy come from nowhere. There was in a parking lot, there was no car around and he come around this one car parked by us and picked her up like a feather with one hand. Oh. And was he handsome? Yes, he was. <laughs> I'm just picturing it. I want to picture it right. I can go along with Barb. Okay. Hold on. There, there, so, so you're saying that this is someone who happened to be there for... And picked her up. Some other reason? And, and after he got her stood up, he disappeared. Okay, so that might be uh, an example of primary movements of God rather than the secondary, which would be somebody broke down in that parking lot and they were going, oh, no, my car. And then Barb fell. And, and he was able to help uh, because the secondary use of that thing is, is where the providence There's is. No car, I mean, there was car. Right, I'm hearing you. What I'm suggesting is that that's, uh, not a, that's more like what we're talking about on that Wednesday night when we talked about um, direct intervention of God. The, the secondary intervention would be something that's not unexplainable or doesn't look miraculous. But the timing of it, or the way that it worked out? Yeah, and, uh, we've had several things like that happen. Okay. Mine was, Donna took me to my eye doctor appointment, and Donna goes, did you see that guy? I go, yeah, he looked, he looked, and I said, he looks like an angel to me. She goes, I bet that's the person who helped Barb get up. And it's like, he was handsome though. <laughs> All right. That's great, but now I'm wondering if we know what providence is. Um, <laughs> the the, the uh, angelic... Uh, so, so, for example, when um, Elisha and uh, his attendant are surrounded by the Syrian army, right? And the attendant's freaking out, and Elisha says, God, open his eyes, and he sees around them an angelic army, bigger than the armies of Syria. That is what we would call the direct intervention of God, supernatural intervention. If the army of Israel had happened to get off course and at just the right moment had arrived and was able to defeat the Syrian army and defend Elisha, which at the time the the king of Israel wouldn't have defended Elisha, but say that he would have, that would have been providence because it's not unexplainable. It's just that God is using what has already happened through an ordinary course of events for his own purposes. And so the reason that we are so into this as Baptists, apart from the fact that it's just uh, important doctrine, is when you look back at the history of the Baptists, Providence is everywhere. One of the main, um, I mean, where's the big city called Providence? Lisa's asleep. <laughs> Rhode Island, right? So it, the reason there is a Rhode Island and the reason there is a Providence in Rhode Island is because of, of us Baptists. Um, we're not to blame for all the like corruption on Federal Hill and stuff, but the original, the original Providence, it comes from a guy named Roger Williams. He's in a, one of these Anglican settlements and um, he, he starts moving around trying to find something that's more separatist. He's trying to find a group of people that will let him preach what his conscience demands that he preach. 
which is more and more Baptist. And he wants to preach uh, baptism by immersion. He wants to preach throwing off of uh, the authority of the Church of Rome and its child, the Church of England. He's got some extreme views. Um, And as he's going, he's even rejecting calls to the pastorate by Puritans who are separatists because they're not separate enough. So at one point, he's in Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he's preaching, and they're like, dude, stop preaching. You're not allowed to preach anymore because you're not towing the line. And he says, I got no choice but to preach what my conscience tells me, and he keeps on preaching. And so in the middle of the winter, they say, here are your options, buddy. Back to England where you're thrown in prison until you die, or probably thrown in prison until you're executed, or you just, you leave here. Now, to us, it's like, okay, you get in your car, you drive away. No, no, no. To leave the safety of the settlement in the winter is essentially, what, suicide. But he does. He leaves, and here's how God uses providence. In addition to preaching all this Baptist stuff, this is part of our history, too. Roger Williams had been one of the few people who had been preaching that we had stolen land from Native Americans and that we had no right to the land because it it didn't belong to us unless we bought it. And so he had become friends with different Native American tribes. He tried to share the gospel with them. He'd kind of been an advocate for them amongst the the colonists. And uh, when he was forced out, ostensibly to his death, to die in the woods uh, in the dead of winter, he happened upon a group of Indians that were friendly to him because of the relationship he'd built. And he said, well, can I buy some land from you? And they were like, no one's ever asked us that before. They just try to take it. And so they say, sure. They bring him to what we call Providence today. And he called it Providence because he knew, but for that happening, he'd have been dead. And history would have looked a lot different. By the way, the whole separation of church and state thing, that was ours. So who knows even what America would look like if not for that. And so, yeah, this, this is hard-coded into our history. It wasn't that an angel appeared from heaven, like with Elisha, and said, eat, you, you know, the, the journey is more than you can handle, and gave him food, or ravens came and fed him. Uh, no, this was just something, I mean, it's not a miracle that he bumped into the people who already lived in that land, but it is God's providence. And so he calls it providence, and then, of course, John Clark, and we have Newport, and then uh, Anne Hutchinson, and then we, so now we get this whole, like, little bed of religious freedom, actual religious freedom in, in what we call America today. And it kind of goes back to all this to providence, to, to one instance of providence. What they meant for evil, we're going to kill you or send you, you know, to spend the rest of your life in prison, God meant for good. And so th- this is something that should be near and dear to our hearts. And I think as Baptists, we should be looking for providence all the time. And, and you know, even in a situation where bad stuff happens. You can always, at least I find, you can find the providence where God saved me from something worse happening, even in the midst of that. Um, <laughs> like two seconds late, earlier than, uh, than you were, you could have been in an accident. Right, yeah. Yeah, so like your car wouldn't start, right? Yeah. And you're all angry and you're like, this is the last thing I needed today. And then you go by and you go, I'm not getting on the freeway. Look how backed up it is. And you find out, had your car started, you might have been in the middle of that. that. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about when we say providence. You guys get it. So, so keep, keep your, your eyes open for this sort of thing. And I mean, in Christmas, we see both obviously the most direct 
supernatural intervention by God, when our world, space, and time are invaded by God and the flesh, and providence. So we, we have a number of instances, not just the stars. Is there anything else in the Christmas story? Where, yeah. Well, the fact that they had to go back to Bethlehem. The, so yeah, I mean, why is it that there was this census? Was it in order that Jesus would be born in the right? Well, that was God's plan, but it's not miraculous. I mean, you do censuses, sensei, sensei. Um, <laughs> you do these things to get more tax money. Yeah, it's, governments always try to take our money. And so God used it for good. Yeah, great example. Anything else in the Christmas story that strikes you as providential? God using secondary causes? All right, about that one, why didn't they? Because they knew he was, they got a bad feeling. It wasn't a bad feeling, it was they were. Oh, they were warned by it. No. What was it? I don't know. Open your Bibles to Matthew 2 and tell me. You're going, am I thinking of the dream that warns Joseph to go to <laughs> Egypt, or am I thinking of the Magi? Uh, some of the wise men secretly sent them to Bethlehem after listening to the One of my favorite stories in the Bible. Yep, so they're warned in a dream. So this is direct intervention by God. And now when we dream something, I don't know that we can always assume that it was direct intervention by God, um, but... God can break in, or he can just say, I've already got things going. And, and when you, you, know, you look at providence, something like uh, the census uh, or the stars or whatever, I mean, you could always trace these things back with a near infinite regress of causes. This was caused by this, was caused by this, was caused by this. And so when something like that happens and you say, wow, that was God's providence, you have to stand in awe that he didn't just in that moment say, okay, here you go but was already thinking of that a billion years ago. I mean, he's outside of time, so even that is kind of putting the wrong categories on him. But, but man, well, the hugeness of God is present there in the equal measure to the power of God present when he intervenes through some kind of something angelic or, or his own just the, the fire on the top of the mountain or whatever. Aaron? Even when you think of like, okay, there was a census that Augustus declared, but the reason that he was in power mm. and the reason that there was no republic anymore and the reason, you know, why did Rome exist in the first place? I mean, yeah, you can go back to when there were no people at all and why did people end up coming to that region even? Right, yeah, so yeah, you can, you can, you can always say, well, no, this happened because of this happened because it's not it's having anything to do with your God. And, and we say, well, yes, actually it all does. He's the first cause, the, the unmoved mover, and he's moving everything. And so one of the big objections to the idea of God's eternal decree is, hold on, God's just playing chess. Well, to some degree, absolutely. He's moving the pieces all around, and thank God he is. That's how his providence comes to bear on us. He's, he's been moving all the pieces from, from eternity past uh, and before the foundation of the earth. He chose us to be his people, and he was already thinking about your life and, and what was going to be happening at this moment and that moment. And when you heard the gospel, he had already set that up way, way in advance. So these are, um, these are big topics, I think, to think about. Providence is something that we can just sort of gloss over and say, yeah, it's what Baptists call luck. 
but it's not. It's something much bigger. And I think that it's, to me, it's almost more amazing when you look at God's providence in a situation. And it's always just in hindsight that you can see it. It's almost, well, not always, but best in hindsight that you can see it. And you go, wow, that is, I mean, it's just as amazing as if a voice from heaven had said, turn left, not right. I mean, like, th- these, it, it's just as amazing. Coincidence is a word that came to mind because my non-Christian friends use that when I say it was God's providence and they say, well, it's just a coincidence. What is a coincidence? I suppose it is a co incident, right? I mean, there's two things, but we just believe that it was by, not by chance, but, but by design. And that, that, uh, it's so much harder to believe that chance orchestrates all of the things that you see that are, you know, coincidences, you know, like that's so much more faith to believe that it's all just accidentally happening. Sure. That actually kind of feeds us into next week. Uh, in the week after, we're going to talk about, we're going to get into creation. What is God's work of creation? Because that was the other half of this question. And uh, we might have some spirited debates and, and, and things, and hopefully all in good uh, humor. Yeah, uh, treating each other with respect. But, you know, if, if God created everything in six literal days, uh, that's impressive. If God, through billions of years of... Uh, adaptation and evolution guided everything into existence providentially also impressive uh, and we're going to suss these things out a little bit it should be fun I'll probably have a few video clips for us to watch over the next couple weeks um, and and uh, maybe we can either stretch what you believe or reinforce it or who knows I was thinking about this uh, this the kind of ties in when the other question said God is spirit, and a lot of people don't believe in spirit mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. All a mechanical universe. Right. Atomism. Yeah. yeah. And what I was wondering is, because this is old, right? What did the people in that time, or even in the past, old Earth, believe in spirit? Because it's a capital S. It's the idea of, I don't know, the spirit realm, the spirit aspect of the universe. You know, in like a formal way. So, well, the, the catechism is from the late 19th century, very late, uh, and the document that it's based on is from the late seven, 17th century, and until very recently, I mean, the vast, vast majority, everyone acknowledged a spirit world. And, I mean, that's why Paul could walk into the absolute center of learning and say, I look around, I see that you are in all ways religious, that you're, you're acknowledging that there is more than what we can see. Um, the greatest thinkers ever. Ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Um, I mean, re- read, read uh, yeah, the Republic. Re- read Plato. Read, read these things. They're, they're uh, full of the notion that this is real and there's also an unseen reality. And I mean, that can't be squashed. Anywhere you go, there are people in the midst of the most atomistic, um, scientism, you know, the worship of science, the worship of what we see and can measure. There's always people continually believing in spirit. Where is that coming from? A spiritual place. But I think that uh, when we're looking back at these documents, you're probably dealing in a world where it would be a very odd outlier who would say, oh no, there's nothing spiritual 
There's so just a loss that comes to Providence as a culture or pop. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, going even going back to the 18th century, though, you have deism, which is the notion of the clockmaker god, right? And, and in fact, it was even referenced there in uh, the, the voice quote. The notion that God created everything, like a clockmaker makes, you know, puts all the gears exactly perfect, everything is in place, winds it up, and then walks away. So acknowledging there is a God, there is a spirit, but, but we're always kind of veering toward wanting to be in control. So, okay, there's a God, but there wouldn't be providence then. We're not rely on God. Yeah. Like, like he doesn't want to answer your prayers, he wants to obey the laws he set up. Right, or he's just disengaged and the laws are just in place, like the gears turning. And then the next step from that, I think, is to say, well, forget the clockmaker. We can explain that stuff, too. Uh, and, and, but that's a fairly recent phenomenon uh, in uh, you know, the history of religion. I've, I should know I should more, more than, than I do about this since I have a bachelor's degree in, in religion. But uh, you know, there's, there's always, everywhere, um, a sense of the spiritual. And, and there, there has always been a overwhelming um, appeal to it. And it seems like when you have um, a large group of people or a society that veers toward just the materialist view of the world, you have a lot more depression, a, a lot more of the sort of things that, like you were saying, how would you, how would you go about your life? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like Alex and I talked about this for an hour on uh, one of my five podcasts. These go to 11. Um, but what his life was like before he came to Christ. And it was like, he's like, I didn't, I didn't get beat up by my parents as a kid. I was in a loving home. Everything was, it was just the natural outcropping of believing in a world where it's just blind chance and nothing means anything was, I, you know, withdrew and everything was very dark and bleak. And I mean, that's, that's natural. Um, it, even if it, now I'm going to say it, even if it were a fairy tale, I'd rather believe in God and not want to slip my wrists. But it's not. It's, he's real, and we see his acts of creation. We see his acts of intervention. We see his acts of, in, in providence. We see his, his uh, use of secondary cause. It's everywhere. And so, man, what, how comforting. How comforting is that? Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for our time together today. I thank you for everyone who's here in the midst of holiday preparations. And Lord, undoubtedly, everyone with with things that need to be done, we thank you for uh, our our chance to kind of just take a break and come together to to worship you, to open your word, to to talk about how you have been active uh, and present with us through our lives and through uh, all of human history. We're so thankful for your breaking into our our timeline uh, at Christmas and, and sending your son Jesus to be born of a virgin. And Lord, we're so, so thankful for, for that gift. That is the greatest gift anyone could possibly have given us. And Lord, we, we just pray that we would uh, be able uh, in the next days to, to set our minds on you. And even in the midst of parties and, and preparations and gifts and all that comes to Christmas, Lord, that we would remember uh, to, to be able to focus our hearts on you for a time and, and to thank you, to thank you together with our families and our friends, to thank you in our hearts uh, in solitude for what you've done for us and, and how much you love us and how you've shown that love in, in this way that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.